We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are doing a a little bit of a weird show. So I, unfortunately, if you're listening to this on Friday, March 17th, it is uh, a late recording for me. I, I, you're typically used to getting on your Friday's franchise mode with Andrew Spade, and it is of no fault of Andrew's that we didn't record. I, unfortunately, uh, laid down for a little bit trying to get rid of a headache and slept a really long time. Now I'm up at 3 in the morning. Recording a podcast, so if you're listening to this, hopefully uh, in the morning I'm sleeping at some point, but I wanted to hit on some key topics, so kind of going through, uh, spending some time tonight really digging into Dalvin Tomlinson, and if you uh, know me or what I've done for years, I I really try when I'm doing these write-ups of players to be very descriptive um, and, and give you a full picture of what these guys are like, which in order to do that, you can't skim through games. Not even that. Like I kind of put out a tweet today, well yesterday at this point, where I said, you know, some people will try to act like they watch the tape of a player or whatever and all they did was skim, you know, <laughs> people took it as me being like literally talking about tape versus digital. What I'm talking about is people like name searching a player on Twitter and then just finding clips other people have posted and then acting like they have a great feel for a player. To me, that's just a, it's a disservice. Now, I'm a weirdo and like uh, you can tell that I spend my my downtime, free time watching football. Like that's that's what I do. It's what I love. It's what I love about doing what I do is going and figuring out why organizations love a player, figuring out the comparison, all of that stuff. And in, and in order to do that, that's like a six-game minimum process for me where I will download the defensive side of a game from whatever I really will spend most of my time on last season uh, in order to get a feel for what the Browns are immediately getting but obviously I'll spend time watching previous seasons to get a true feel for what a player is and how they've grown so on and so forth so like you know you'll see a lot of opinions out there and and again everybody can have their opinion it's fine it's just kind of funny to me where you'll try to act like there's a bunch of study uh, or or process of understanding a player without clearly 
without the effort that you show that it takes to do it. Not everyone has the time to do that. I understand that too, but uh, I think the verbiage of how you went about arriving where you arrived is sometimes important. But anyway, back to the point at hand. I've consumed as much Tomlinson stuff as I can. I have all the film room film ready to go. Just have to write it up in the morning whenever that morning clicks over for me. So if you're really into reading these things, I did one on on Ogwo, uh, Okoronkwo uh, just the other day. Uh, I mean, as fun as I've had writing one of these in a while, largely because the Browns weren't very active in free agency last year, but um, in the wild offseason that it was, they obviously made the huge trade took away a lot of free agency opportunities, stuff like that. But the year before, I did one on John Johnson I really love. Now, obviously, we see where that went. But these are fun. You're figuring out who a player is. You're taking, capitalizing on some of the excitement and really trying to lay out for people who these guys are, you know, what they do well, what they don't do well, what your expectations should be, high, medium, or low. Uh, and again, these are, like, again, the, the most some of the most fun stuff I do uh, and as far as what my job is. So... With Tomlinson, hopefully you get to read the actual piece in a little, uh, like I said, a little later around lunchtime today. I'll drop that. Full of film, full of his uh, every aspect of the player. And, and really what, to me, is interesting is he didn't test well coming out of Alabama. Now, he was a second-round pick, pick 55. You can see the mixed bag that is second- and third-round defensive tackles. Didn't test well. And I don't think the film shows that he's a some elite athlete he's he's really not he's not twitched up he's not very quick off the football at times occasionally he is when he's got snap count stuff to do but a below average athlete in my opinion and if you go look at his college testing that would indicate that's true he did not test all too well or the production and all of that would have put him into the first round um, but just because he's not twitchy doesn't mean he can't be successful like he is strong as hell at the point of attack and Really where that shows up most for me is obviously in the run game because where you want your defensive tackle to be able to display that strength is being able to do a couple difficult things, in my opinion. Handle double teams, right? Two guys, upwards of 600 pounds in total, driving you, moving you, trying to uh, push you off a spot, and then obviously separating and trying to climb to the next level, and that's where Tomlinson thrives. Taking on double teams, anchoring, hanging on to them, keeping his linebackers free, and then the other harder aspect is when you have a gap and someone's down blocking you, trying to physically move you down the line and out of that gap. And that's another thing that Tomlinson's pretty damn good at. He can put that foot in the ground opposite where the pressure's coming from. He'll take that inside arm and he will move you off your spot. Sometimes he will lock that arm out and, and kind of bend other offensive linemen backward. You'll see him buckle them uh, in a way that kind of helps him hold his ground. And he's able to take on those gap schemes, power, counter, all of those that are tricky. And that's where he's made his bread and butter in the NFL. Now, again, he's he's able to pass rush. He's gotten better at it. He's fine, right? I mean, through the totality of his career, I think he's gotten better at it, in my opinion. He started his career 13, 18, 14 pressures and then had his contractor where he had 28 pressures and then goes to Minnesota and 21 has 21 pressures. A little bit of a down year, but still had four sacks. And then he had 30 last year. So his career high in pressures last year. So he's still doing it. Right, which is important that he's still being able to put this on on tape, and I, and I do agree he has two things he does as a pass rusher. Which again, if you want tape to correspond with this, you're going to have it. He is a bull rush guy, as any bigger <laughs> defensive lineman, interior player would be. Right, like he will try to out leverage you, get up under you, sometimes long arm you, lock one arm out, buckle your shoulder, and then push you out of the way, or sometimes two hand bull rush and try to drive through you and collapse you into the quarterback's lap. That obviously gives you pressure, uh, changes quarterback decision-making, speeds up their process, and sometimes gets you a sack. Not the easiest way to get a sack because you have to work through. There's a two-way go, all that stuff. 
it's, it's not the, the like I said, as far as getting the sack, you need to you, typically the best way to do that with some consistency is to get past somebody. And he does have a move that he uses to get past somebody. He does uh, two things off of a swim move. He will either pull, he'll lock up under the uh, the rib cage of an offensive lineman and pull you one direction and swim with the opposite arm to clear you and get past you. Or sometimes he'll club. The more popular way to do it is if you're facing an offensive lineman, imagine you're doing that. You got your two arms out in front of you. You would club with your right hand and swim with your left because you're obviously pushing that offensive lineman away and then swimming to shrink the size of your frame and get take that arm over the top and create a way to get past somebody. Some guys use club rip. There's a bunch of different things. Hand swipes. He's those are the two moves he loves to do most. Right? He will he will grab you, shock you, swim, or grab you, get up under you, and bull rush you. Those are his base. Now he, he does other things. He's he's as he's developed as a pass rusher, he will um, do the two hand swipe, which is he feels a lineman get their hand, his hands on his chest, and he will swipe those hands off. Because what you do when you swipe those hands off, it changes the entire course of uh, the frame of a, of, a, of an offensive lineman who's trying to block you. Oftentimes it'll knock them out of your way in general or knock their balance off so that you can you can work your way, get skinny, and work past them. So that's, to me, what he does. And he's gotten to the point, too, where he will start to pair. Maybe he faces two guys, right? You, could, you, know, you get double teams, whether you're a three-tech or one-tech, whatever. He will take advantage of both of those. He'll bull rush somebody into a spot, get past them, uh, or swim move and then bull rush a second player. He he started to pair them together, which is cool to see his pass rush plans start to come together. But in general, he's best suited to play over the center. Like if you could pick what's he going to play, if you could put him over the center every play, you would have a, a ton of success in my opinion. The Vikings used a lot of odd fronts, which is surprising to me because I thought they're, I, again, I don't consume much Vikings tape, but I thought they were more of a even front team. They're actually using a lot of odd fronts. Um, and putting him sometimes at the three, sometimes at head-up nose. Uh, they moved guys around depending on location of the field and strength of the formations and stuff they're facing. But, uh, I, I mean, listen, if I could like drop this guy over the center and let him bully centers all the time, would be great. The problem is, and something we'll talk about a little later, is what the Browns are doing with their free agency structure here. He might just have to play the three. I mean, he just might because he might be their best player inside, creating more pass rush opportunities. Um, and typically playing the three means you're not going to get double teamed as much, right? It's more common to have the center double team a guy closer to him than it is a three technique on the outside shoulder of the opposite guard. So we'll see what they're going to do there. Eileen, like, what do you think you could get the best out of him with? Sticking him over the center is a great way to do it. Even head up nosing him, but they don't play, Browns don't play an odd front, right? They're not a, they're not a three, four base. So what do they do to get creative? The Vikings actually took them off the field a lot, and their they're, they're true speed rush stuff, like it's third and eight plus, we know you're throwing the ball, they would take them off the field. Now, I don't blame them. You're putting a bunch of speedy, lanky, lanky guys on the field. The Browns probably will do the same. But if you wanted to say on third downs in our speed package, stick Tomlinson right over the center and let him bully the center the whole way to the football – that would be a great outcome because if you're if you know if you got Okoronkwo on one side speed rushing maybe you got a walked up creeper Alex Wright and then you got Miles on the other side that's tough and guards and tackles are going to have to occupy that and that leaves Tomlinson uh, in a one on one over the center you can get pretty good results from that but again there's a lot to be determined with where he's going to line up the most I know Pro Football Focus put out some stuff about where he's graded at best and that was over the center in the past but you just don't see a head up center facing defensive linemen all too often and especially in this defense so it's worth noting but listen he's a professional defensive tackle he's good he's going to anchor the run 
he should. You know, you never know where these things are going, but as far as what the Browns are getting, I think it's it's pretty good stuff here. I, I really do think it's a good fit. Again, I'm trying to temper expectations. He is not a speed-rushing defensive tackle that's going to wow you. And I wouldn't even say, like, wow you with some of the speed moves we used to see from, like, Larry Ogunjobi. The thing is, Larry was so inconsistent in both phases, now uh, more of a pass rusher. But Tomlinson, rooted in run defense, but is expanding and growing as a pass rusher. But he's limited where he can go. He's not twitched up. He's not super fast. Uh, all that stuff. And sometimes you'll just watch him, and I have some clips in there, where he just is overwhelmed. He just doesn't, the bull rush doesn't work. He can't get the arms off of an opposing lineman, and he's just kind of left in no man's land. Happens to him every now and again. You don't win every rep, but um, worth noting that there are some of those reps in there too. That's why he's not noted as an elite pass rusher. So I wanted to share, Pro Football Focus put out some stuff, which I like to read. Uh, They're grading of the Browns uh, free agent signings. Tomlinson is one of the best fits of the offseason so far, a team addressing their biggest weakness and strong yet desirable, or sorry, strong yet reasonable contract. The Browns' interior defender unit earned a 34.7 run defense grade in 2022. We could all agree, you've heard me talk about it, it's terrible. It was so bad. Which ranked 31st, somehow they did not finish last. They, they had a strong close to the year, somehow. Um, but enter Dalvin Tomlinson, who's yet to earn a run defense grade below 65 over six seasons. Tomlinson's dis- demonstrated... Positional flexibility in recent years, shifting more of a true from a true nose to a three tech. Once he landed in Minnesota, he's had some pass rush chops that will also go a long way in Cleveland. I would agree with that. He's getting better. We need more details as always, but the guaranteed figure, which we've talked about, Jack Duffin uh, talked about it the other day. Um, it's a good two year. It's pretty much a two year twenty eight million dollar deal. Uh, it's it's pretty good for for a, a, a position that is still. Um, I think going upward, right? The, the money of defensive tackles is getting a little crazy because we all just cherish that interior rush. Uh, I think they did okay here, and they and they noted the same. So um, the other two, Okoronkwo, which is worth noting here, um, the Browns needed to generate more pass rush up front outside of Miles Garrett, they said. New defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz brings aboard an extremely intriguing player in Okoronkwo, who came on strong over the second half of 2022. He settled into a 4-3 defensive front in Houston after beginning his career in a 3-4 at the Rams, all things I noted. His production skyrocketed as he got comfortable in that 4-3. From week 7 through the end of the regular season, he ranked top 10 among edge rushers in pass rush grade, 88.5, pressure percentage, 17.5, and pass rush win rate, 22.9. If you want to hear more on Okoronk when you didn't listen to Monday's podcast with, or sorry, Tuesday's podcast with Corey Kennan, Go check that out because I went in pretty detailed on him. And then check out that film room, too. I'll I'll link that film room in the description of this pod so you can find that. Um, They said this could prove to be an under-the-radar signing that ages quite well during the the season. Now, the Browns signed Juan Thornhill. I'm going to get to Juan Thornhill. Probably going to be a Saturday drop is my best guess. And I'll do a detailed pod for you tomorrow on that. Um, Here's what they said about Thornhill. He turned an impressive postseason campaign to finish his final season with Kansas City Chiefs on a high ending the 2022 season with a 75.2 PFF coverage grade, 12th among safeties. Through four seasons in the league, the former second-round pick was produced a PFF grade below 70 to just one time. That was the year he was coming off the ACL. We'll talk about that later. Though if there was a knock on him, it said he's missed at least 10.9% of his tackle attempts all four seasons. We will also talk about the missed tackle stuff. Um, that's it. They gave him an A-. I just wanted to hit on the free agency notes. We're not Like I said, I've done Okoronkwo with you guys, detailed on that. Detail now on Tomlinson. You can read the film room to go along with it. Like I said, I'll link the Okoronkwo one in case you missed that in the description of this pod, so check that out. And then we will get a really thorough uh, discussion tomorrow night where I will go through Juan Thornhill with you and what I think he brings. So that is pretty much everybody on a big scale that they ended up going out and um, signing. So like I said, we got to get to Thornhill, but I wanted to get uh, something detailed on Tomlinson too. We're going to take a break real quick. 
When we come back, we are going to hit on the two smaller scale signings that they have had here and then um, probably close with what's still available, what's still out there. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so the Browns signed two players of a smaller nature, right? We'll get to both of them. Tristan Hill signed yesterday about 4 o'clock. Um, an interesting signing, but not interesting if you think about it for what the Browns are trying to do here. They're trying to pluck a three-tech rushing defensive tackle out of the scrap heap. Now, the the larger discussion is something I tweeted about. Is this their plan, right? Is this their plan with Tristan Hill and Maurice Hurst? Because if it's their plan to pair these guys to fight with Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai, uh, and Perrion Winfrey for snaps, that's concerning to me because these two are massive risks, and we're going to talk about both of them. I hope the Browns are going to go out and still sign another meaningful defensive tackle. They can still draft one, but again, 42-98-111, dicey to get a contributing defensive tackle early. So it's still a market that has names, and again, we'll talk about them in just a minute after we talk through these two players but I, I think what I'll say is this. These guys have skill. They were drafted 
and well thought of when they came into the league. Disappointing players. Now, it's not to say the light bulb can't come on, they can't figure it out. The thing that's most concerning is injuries. But what you have to do when you're deciding whether the Browns are making this a serious long-term situation they want to use these guys to really solve is how much guaranteed money they give them. So they're one-year deals, right? And if you're trying to figure out, okay, they signed him to a one-year deal, they think he's going to play. Well, how much of that one year is guaranteed? They only guarantee $100,000 of each player. Those are camp flyers. They're just seeing if a guy can come in, do the off-season work, come into camp and, and, and produce, and then we'll keep him on a vet minimum. But if there's not really much attached to it, that's what you're thinking. If there is more, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think here off the top of my head, and I don't know the vet minimum stuff. I'm not, our boy Jack Duffin's better at this, but say they you know, guarantee 70% of the first year uh, minimum salary. Well, that's a player they think they're going to keep. You know, we've talked about this in previous editions of, you know, looking at preseason to, to the regular season roster with some of the guys the Browns have had in recent years. And you're like, well, they wrapped up a lot of money in this guy for a single year. It's a lot of guaranteed money. So they're probably going to keep him unless he's just completely uprooted by somebody else. So that's always the angle. Follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. Now we don't know yet how much of the, the contracts of these are guaranteed, but we, we, you know, the second we figure that out, we'll let you know because that's going to be important. So back to Tristan Hill. Now, this one is a bit more on the high end of, of possibility because he's, he's been playing recently. The problem is recently is relative. So Tristan Hill comes into the league, second-round pick Cowboys. Uh, I believe they took him uh, pick 58, 2019. Comes out of UCF, had a decent little career at UCF, uh, started his sophomore year, 13 games, 20 tackles, two sacks, four for loss. Senior year, second team, and sorry, junior year is when he when he uh, was second team All AAC back in 2017. And that funny part is, you know, we're finally at the free agency juncture of all these guys of the 2018 draft. And you know how much thought, time, and effort we, if you were around back then, that we put into that 2018 draft because of the quarterback picking number one overall and all of the picks that John Dorsey had accumulated. So it's just kind of funny going through. Oh yeah, I remember there was this guy played in college and blah blah blah. So Tristan Hill was a guy we liked because he tested really well. The, the production was. Okay, three sacks, ten and a half tackles for loss, thirty-six tackles. He um, ended up having some bigger games late in the year. He had a six tackles, three for loss, two sack performance against Memphis in the championship game. So that kind of stood out in his pre-draft process. And then uh, was obviously a part of really good football. Team. I think that was Scott Frost, UCF. They were putting together good seasons. Played LSU in the Fiesta Bowl. I think LSU was the team that ended their twenty-five game win streak, something like that back then. But he finished his college career seventy-one tackles, six sacks. And then after his junior season, um, decided to go to the league. Now, he's a part of the 19 draft, not the 18 draft. Sorry about that, but right around that time frame. But the thing with Tristan Hill is just playing. Like, he's just he's been hurt a lot, man. So he came into the league as a really good athlete, and obviously that's what caught the eye of a lot of people and what bumped up his grade, right? He's a 9.53 RAS guy, um, relative athletic score. Good composite size grades because he came in about 6'2 and a half, 308 with 28 bench reps. So pretty good stuff there, pretty good strength. Vertical 35-inch vertical and a 9-foot 907 broad, which are, are really elite explosion grades. And then his, his speed grade was great. He was right about a 5-flat 40, but the 20-yard split and 10-yard split were really strong. And then had a fantastic shuttle run, one of the best at the position kind of all time. Um, top 50 inside the all-time shuttle grades um, for that mark. It was good. And then a three-cone of 5.71. So he was exceptionally athletic, and that's what gave him the second-round draft selection, a guy the Browns are sort of entertaining as well. Um, but the problem is he came in and didn't fit in. He had nine inactives to start his rookie year, right? So he had, I think, ended up with nine pressures, uh, a couple sacks or one sack, I think is the ended up what, what Pro Football Focus ended up giving him. 
He's had one sack. Uh, he actually didn't have a sack as a rookie year. He's had two sacks total. So the stats are pretty underwhelming. But you got to look at this with what it is. So his his rookie year, I remember actually reading something about his rookie year. He came in and didn't understand that there was an inactive in the NFL. He just thought all 53 guys dressed. He didn't understand so that like, there were game day inactives. So he was surprised by that, trying to figure out the NFL. Like I said, he was inactive nine games and appeared in just three contests after week seven. So it was a disappointing rookie year. His second year, he comes in in 2020 and is slated to start. He took over, remember, the Cowboys signed Gerald McCoy. Uh, the Browns are kind of in that sweepstakes for Gerald McCoy. Um, he ended up getting hurt, a quad injury, and then they um, threw him in. So Tristan Hill was the starting three-tech, played five games, had a decent start to the season. Um, and if you recall, there was a really controversial thing where he twisted Chris Carson's knee uh, that was caught on tape, uh, ended up hurting Chris Carson. But anyway, a week later against the, the Giants after uh, after that Seahawks game, he tore his ACL, ironically. Again, trying to keep off of a quarterback to try to avoid a sack. But So he tears the ACL in 2020 after five games, and then uh, that sets him back because you're five games into the season in 2020. And like I said, he'd put together a couple decent games. He had a game with three pressures a couple tackles a couple stop tackles like he had seven stop tackles and again if you look at five games he had nine pressures if you extrapolate that over 17 games if he played and he was getting high snap numbers 39 39 47 64 and 23 in the game he tore his ACL you put that over 17 games it's not gonna be a high pressure percentage but you're gonna look at like 30 sacks sorry 30 30 sacks that'd be phenomenal 30 pressures so he you know he would have put together a decent season um, but, but again, tears the ACL, doesn't come back in 21. He starts the season on the pup list, doesn't even come back in 21 until week 10 is his first chance playing again. And he plays decent numbers, you know, 28, 39, 28, 29, 32, the rest of the regular season. He actually ended up missing week 13 because he, he punched, um, a Raiders player in the post game. I don't know if, again, things you just recall, I was looking into his background, he punched a Raiders player in the postgame that cost him one, and then I think he got hurt. Uh, he missed weeks 15 and 16 again. But if you're going back through, again, 2020 tears the ACL, comes back October of 21, um, two-game suspension that was cut back to one game after the head um, the head punch or whatever uh, that, he, that he did there on the Thanksgiving Day game. And then, uh, that's right, he got put on the COVID list and missed a couple uh, weeks on the COVID list. And then the Cowboys let him go. They were trying to trade him in 20. Two, he got slated to play games again. He, he got beaten out, didn't play a ton of snaps as part of a rotation, and then they let him go. Arizona scoops him up. He plays weeks 10 through 16. Not many snaps, 16, 12, 15, 17, 23, and then he got put on IR at the end of the year. I think he had a calf. Um, they ended up saying it was a knee, a sprained knee is what got him. But he's still young. I mean, I get what the Browns are doing. Still young, 24, about to turn 25 on March 25th. So... You give him a shot, right? He can earn a job. There's a, and, and you would ask maybe, like, why would Tristan Hill want to come here or why would Maurice Hurst want to come here? Well, if you're looking at the Browns' D-tackle depth right now, understanding that they could still go out and sign somebody, but, you know, i got to beat out Perrion Winfrey, Jordan Elliott, and Tommy Togiai to get real rotational snaps, you know, play alongside Miles Garrett. You can understand why these guys would be interested in some of these rehabilitation deals and, again, why the Browns are taking risks on some of those guys who can come in you know, and have a chance to earn some of those jobs. So uh, they're they're taking dart throws here, and I don't mind them as long as they're not guaranteed dollars that are going to impact them. Guy, these guys making the roster. So Maurice Hurst, again, this is now he was in the 18 draft. He's a little older, 27 and a half. 
he was a hot topic in that 2018 draft. He was a guy projected first round, had a great career at Michigan. Um, if you recall, it was a consensus at first team All American. It's 2017, first team All Big Ten in 2017. Had a really strong 2017 season, 59 tackles, 13 and a half for loss. And then, um, you know, the heart condition stuff comes out at the combine. He, he has a nice combine where he tests pretty well. He has a um, a great speed grade, under five, uh, second 40, 31 vertical, 808 broad, which are good. The size wasn't good, but we knew that. He was 6'1 and some change, 292. He's a speed player, but he was strong. 29 bench reps. Shuttle three cone were, were good. So you could see how he was winning at the NFL level, right? Kind of like a almost um, a Michael Bennett type comparison when he was coming out in terms of what kind of athlete he was. But he was exceptional in college. He was buzzed to go in the first round. And then all of a sudden this heart condition stuff comes out where it was similar to Nick Fairley, like in a regular EKG. And there were stuff like this guy could die at any moment type of stuff. Like teams were really afraid of taking him. Uh, really afraid of it, and he ended up falling all the way to the fifth round. Pick 140 was when Oakland took him and got a lot of heat for it because there were people, again, who like really thought Mo Hurst was going to, like, you're you're putting him on the field to die. You're enabling him, and that stuff was kind of crazy when it was happening. It was really crazy, So, um, you, but you still you saw what was a really good football player. I think that's important to remember is, like, he was putting together two good seasons to start. I remember the if you recall, the Browns went out there in Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb's rookie season, and Hurst was extremely good. Like he was one of the best players on the field in that game. If you and I'm trying to find that specific game, he got a 90 grade in that game. He had a sack, three pressures, four stop tackles, like phenomenal effort. And he had moments like his rookie year in 2018. He got 252 pass rush snaps. He only had 11 pressures, but he had four sacks. His next year, he gets up to 522 total snaps, 355 pass rush snaps, and he puts together a 38 pressure season, which is really damn good in 2019. Four sacks, 30 hurries, 10 stop tackles. He had 21 stop tackles the year before, so it was a it was a really strong run defense debut. And you could see, like, okay, this guy's going to carve out a nice nice path. But then the COVID season hit, and things got a little weird for him in 2020. Um, he was put on the COVID list, activated from it, and then waived in season in 2021. Like his whole thing, I don't know, man. I didn't follow it closely. He didn't play like the middle of the season. He didn't play. He had some decent games. He still had 11 pressures and 149 pass rush snaps, a nice 78.5 grade in 2020. But it just they, they didn't keep him around. I don't really know why. I guess I could dig more on that with Raiders people, but they decided to move on from him. He was claimed in the offseason by the 49ers. They had a one-year contract. He was placed on injured reserve in 2021. He only got 41 snaps during that season. So I'm trying to kind of backtrack why he was uh, placed. I think he might have had a calf issue. He remained out dealing with some calf stuff that happened put on injured reserves. He didn't play much in 21. Then they kept him around again for another season. They signed him to another one-year deal, but then he was placed on injured reserve with a torn bicep. So um, it's been weird. It's been a weird run for Hurst. I don't know exactly where he ends up here. Like As far as a guy who's proven it at least a few times, he's got more of that than Tristan Hill. He's just older, and he comes with a lot more risk. If you look at the grades and focus on that, you know, I don't, 
Yeah, he's pretty good. I'll uh, I'll probably do a quick little hitting film room on both of these guys um, before eh, probably early next week, trying to see the flashes the Browns are trying to recapture. But you know, Hurst is injured a lot. Tristan Hill injured a lot. They've not finished many seasons. Hurst has only finished early seasons in his career, eighteen and nineteen. So he hasn't played a full season in three years, twenty twenty one or twenty two. Tristan Hill, you know, we talked through it. Not not full seasons for him. 2020 was his best shot at a full season after the inactives his rookie year of 2019, but he tears the ACL. That eats into his next year, 21. And then 22, he just has fallen out of favor with the Cowboys who took Nevin, Nevin Gallimore and some other uh, players that they were more interested in giving time to. So I get what they're doing. I'm just going to continue to hope that they don't um, – you know, that they, they don't wrap too much into those guys to, to almost ensure that they feel like they have to keep them around. I, I don't think they're silly enough to do that. But anyway, let's close with this. These are your free agents left going into your Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I would say we're like mid-third quarter of free agency right now. And there's still a lot of big names left. Dalton Schultz is the top of the list for pro football focus. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the safety, is not going back to Philly now that they decided to re-sign Darius Slay. Uh, Bobby Wagner, Isaac Ciamalu, uh, the guard, uh, Clowney still is at five. I'll be st- Clowney's free agency won't even start for like three months. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. still out there at six. Rocky Sin, the corner at seven. He's fun. Uh, Dalton Reisner, guard at eight. Marcus Peters, aging corner at nine. Then some of these wide receivers, DJ Shark, untouched. You know, like Adam Thielen. There's there's some good names here. Like I'll just read through the next ten. Um, Shark, Isaiah Wynn, Adam Thielen, Mike Jacecki, the tight end, Yannick Ngakwe, Julian Love, the safety, Leonard Floyd, Taylor Rapp, visiting the Bengals. He might end up there. Drew Tranquil, the linebacker, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston. There's a lot of really good ones still out there. As far as positions, we're we kind of just hit hit through these real quick. Like the running back market is closed down. I mean, they are the most of these guys, cheaper deals signed. The guys who remain on the market that are listed as uh, among the top of their position here Devin Singletary Kareem Hunt Damian Harris Jarek McKinnon most everyone else pro football football focus lists are, have signed the only two quarterbacks that haven't signed outside of Lamar Jackson on their list are Teddy Bridgewater well now now Marcus Mariota just signed with the Eagles a perfect backup for Jalen Hurts so that's everybody has signed uh, PJ Walker signed with Chicago so that that's moved quickly wide receivers are open field still Odell DJ Chark Thielen we saw uh, Paris Campbell, one year, three million. The, the thing that's also noteworthy with these guys is that PFF again, great job on a lot of things, but the value of wide receivers, the prediction of the contracts, they are way offline with what they ended up being. So, uh, one year, three million is all Paris Campbell gets. Now Darius Slayton, which I've talked about for about a week, thought he could be a value. Two years, twelve million, so a little bit more for him. But those are your two noteworthy guys. But again, these are guys still out there. Shark Thielen, uh, Nicole Hardman still out there. A little bit of a buzz with a retweet today of something that. Juan Thornhill put out about recruiting him. Uh, Jarvis Landry, Julio Jones. Don't even know if those guys get signed, to be honest. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus, interesting player. Marvin Jones, Mac Hollins, Randall Cobb. He's probably on a first-class flight to the Jets at some point. Trent Sherfield of interest. Nelson Aguilar. So, guys I'm still interested in. Relatively high end of the market. Chark and Hardman, don't see it, but they'd be the higher end of the pay. Zacchaeus, Sherfield, that's probably it. Tight end, top of the class, still hasn't had much movement. It's a slow day. 
Dalton Schultz, Mike Jacecki, Foster Moreau, Irv Smith, all still available. Offensive tackle, still a little slow. Middle class, Isaiah Wynn, Cam Fleming, Donovan Smith, George Fant, those guys are still out there available. Connor McGovern, and this is me relying on Pro Football Focus to be updating these things all the time. It's not many centers left. McGovern's one of the only ones. Not going to spend much time. Defensive line, though, Ioannidis, Ashawn Robinson, Puna Ford, Greg Gaines, Taven Bryan, Dean Lowry, Akeem Hicks, Chris Wormley, all still available. Andrew Billings signed today. Um, Jerron Reed signed. Morgan Fox went back to the Chargers. That's pretty much it, given that group. And Calais Campbell's still obviously out there, too, if someone can talk him back. Edge still has a ton of people, man. I said Clowney and and Ngakwe already. Floyd as well. But Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Frank Clark, Kyle Vinoy, Rasheem Green, Dwayne Smoot, Carlos Dunlap, Bud Dupree, Shaq Lawson, Dante Fowler, Van Ginkle, Quinn, Carl Nassib. Quite a few edge players can still be had. Uh, for a good price. We'll see if that group shakes free by the end of this week and in the next week. Linebacker Devin Bush here late at night, as far as I can see, signed with the Seahawks. So that one is off the board. But Nicholas Morrow, Anthony Walker, Rashawn Evans, Denzel Perriman, Drew Tranquil, and Bobby Wagner are the leaders in the clubhouse still available. And there are obviously free agents not on these lists that are going to get signed, low-grade special teams types uh, that we'll try to inform you on. But at corner... Rocky Sin, I mentioned, but Marcus Peters, Shaq Griffin, Bryce Callahan. That's a fun slot option. Sean Murphy Bunting, Troy Hill, Anthony Brown, Eli Apple, Mike Hughes, all still available. The safety market has a lot of space there, too. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Julian Love, Taylor Rapp, Adrian Amos, Rodney McLeod, Nick Scott. Uh, Nick Scott and Taylor Rapp, uh, both former Rams, apparently visiting the Bengals, as they try to replace their Von Bell, Jesse Bates departures. Deron Harmon, Deshaun Elliott, John Johnson, Kareem Jackson, Mike Edwards, and Terrell Edmonds, all still available. So we'll see if anything shakes loose. Continuing to hope that the Browns add another D lineman or two, and then a linebacker of some sort before the draft. Another mock draft up for you today. Check that out. And then Dalvin Tomlinson Film Room. Check that out. It's all going to be available. Learn about your new Browns, and then I'll get the one Thornhill one put out over the weekend and get to these two DTs with some film for you next week as well. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, continue to enjoy free agency coverage this week. I will be back with a either a mock draft tomorrow or if the Browns do any signings, talk about that at least at the very bare minimum. Juan Thornhill discussion on the weekend Saturday pod for you, and then uh, probably do a quick lightning mock draft off of that for you live. And then Sunday, be back with Brad Ward, things I think I know about the Browns. And then we'll see where the weekend takes us into Monday. Appreciate you stopping by, guys. Have a great Friday. Hit me up. OBR, any questions, ask the insiders. Always there to answer anything you guys want to talk about. Appreciate you much. Again, have a great Friday. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.